Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, now Lord, as we turn to your wonderful word again, we pray, Lord, help us to hear. Give us hearing ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn, please, to a book of Ruth, Oh, you thought I forgot about Ruth. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, so uh, Book of Ruth, Chapter 3. We're going to continue in our study of Ruth here this morning. Ruth, Chapter 3, Verse 7. Now, we're picking up in the narrative here, the very interesting narrative of the very strange situation in which God used to build the line of the birth of the Messiah. So here we go. Ruth chapter 3, verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down by the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thy handmaid for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich, and now my daughter. Fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, let him do the part of a kinsman. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then I then will I do the part of the kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she laid his feet until the morning. She rose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also, he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And she came to her mother-in-law. She said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. She said, These six measures of barley gave he me. For he said, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. Okay, now, in our last study in the book of Ruth, you remember how we looked carefully, we've been looking very carefully at the different characters in this history. A Moabite woman became King David's great-grandmother and in the line of the Messiah. Wow, think about that, as Sam always likes to say, wow, you know, por favor. (laughs) How did that happen, that a Moabite woman, how did this happen? 
that a Moabite woman became King David's great-grandmother and in the line of the Messiah. That's an amazing thing about this history, how Ruth did not want to even get married again. I mean, Ruth was happy to be single and devote herself to take care of Naomi, and Ruth had no other interest than the interest in Naomi. And Naomi loved Ruth, and she loved her actually so much, or you might say too much, to see this young lady, Ruth, just waste her life taking care of an old lady, you know, Naomi. Naomi was burdened for Ruth and wanted her to have a home of her own, and Naomi called that a place of rest. So Naomi concocted this really strange plan and then pushed Ruth into it. And Naomi's plan was that Ruth should sneak in to the winnowing floor at night where the men slept and cautiously and carefully spy out where Boaz bedded down. And then Ruth should go in there and and ask Boaz to marry her, pressing the fact that Boaz was obligated because of the law of preserving the name of a, of a deceased man who, did, who died without children. And so when we step back and look at that, at Naomi's concocted plan, and see how God used Naomi's concocted plan to marry off Ruth as a way to build the line which produced King David and eventually Messiah, we're amazed. It's amazing that God would use that plan for Ruth to sneak into the men's dorm at night and tell Boaz that he had to marry her. I mean, it's just like the hymn says, who can explore his strange design? You know, God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. So with hindsight, okay, we look back and we see clearly Naomi was led of the Lord with her crazy plan and everything that she had laid out here. How do these things work? I mean, how does it work that this was of God? I mean, it was God's intention clearly for Ruth to marry Boaz. But using Naomi's plan, just it makes us shake our heads and say, what is this? It reminds me of the time when God wanted to destroy Israel's King Ahab because he was an idolater. And so King Ahab calls 400 of his false prophets together and he asked them, should I go to war with Syria? And all of them, all 400 said, yes, King Ahab, you should go. You will defeat Syria. It was unanimous. There was not one of those 400 prophets that said, ah, I'm not so sure. No, there was a unanimous consent of all 400 false prophets, and they were all wrong. And there was not one false prophet who said, it may not be a good idea, you know, for you, King Ahab, to go attack Syria. I mean, that was really odd that nobody says, none of the 400 says, no, don't do it. And if, if we didn't have more information, we would have passed it off with, boy, that is kind of strange. But we would have left it at that, and we would have never really known what really happened unless one true prophet of God, Micaiah by name, had not told what happened when he said in a vision in 2 Chronicles 18.18, 2 Chronicles 18.18, And again, he said, this is the prophet speaking. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramat Gilead? And one spake after another, after this manner, and another spake after that manner. 
Then came a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice him and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil against thee. I mean, that's really amazing. I mean, that's an amazing sight, right? I mean, you kind of look at that and you say, wow, the God of the universe, so concerned about what's happening down here in the speck of earth, that he calls a meeting with all the hosts of heaven. They all say, everybody, everybody you got to come. They all gather around him. That must have been an unbelievable sight. I mean, can you imagine all the hosts of heaven from every corner of the universe being summoned and gathered around both the right and the left sides of God's throne? And then God putting this question to him, okay, everybody, which one of you is going to cause Ahab, king of Israel, that he'll go up and he'll fall at Ramoth Gilead? Can you imagine that sight? And then one right after the other, like it's an audition or something like that, you know, they, they come in, they propose to God. Oh, I'm going to do it. I got it, God. I, you know, just listen to my plan. You know, one right after the other. I mean, it's an amazing sight to think of the God of the universe asking, asking everybody in heaven for proposals. Now, how are we going to get Ahab to go and follow Remet Gilead? And then he's listening to all these proposals, one right after the other. And that, that gives us an insight, by the way, to what believers will be doing in heaven in eternity. You know, we're going to be asked by God to think and create, be creative and propose for how to work together with God to accomplish his will. You thought you would just be relaxing on a cloud with a harp. No. But there's one spirit who stands up and says, I got it. I will entice Ahab. And then God says, how are you going to do that? He says, oh, easy. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of Ahab's prophets. And then God says, you got the job. You'll succeed. Go for it. And that's what is really behind all these 400 false prophets being 100% convinced that King Ahab should go and fight with Syria. And we thought it was just a coincidence, you know, that all 400 prophets agreed that King Ahab should attack Syria. We have no idea how much heaven is involved in what's happening here on earth. And that's what's really being communicated to us by Paul when he said in Ephesians 6, 12, Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness is in high places. I mean, we think we're just struggling, you know, with this person or that person or this obstacle or that obstacle or this health condition or that health condition when there's a whole unseen world of spiritual forces at play. And maybe there was a similar scene in heaven where God said to all the hosts in heaven, we've got a problem. Ruth doesn't want to get married again. She wants to stay with Naomi. Who has a plan for how to get Ruth to marry Boaz? And maybe one after the other made their proposal to God and finally one spirit stood up and said, I got it, I got it. I'll cause Naomi to order Ruth to sneak into the men's dorm at night, wake up Boaz and tell him he's got to marry her because of the kinsman, the redeemer law. And then maybe God said, that's great. You got the job, go for it. So, Reluctantly, Ruth complies with Naomi's directions. She sneaks in there the winnowing floor at night where the men were asleep. She waits for Boaz to fall asleep and then startles him half to death. 
And Boaz, when he finally realizes who it is, he's more than willing to marry her because he's in love with her. But then Boaz drops this bombshell when he says in chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 3, the one we just read, verse 11, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. You know, that's a real oh no. I mean, that, that's a real no for both of them. You know, two people wanted to get married. It's a real problem to hear that they might not be able to get married because there was another man who had the first right of refusal over Boaz to marry Ruth. So God wanted Boaz and Ruth. He wanted them to get married. So that raises the question, why God allowed this oh-no situation to come in between them? I mean, you and I have a desire, and we might be right in the middle of God's will with our desire, and then God allows this oh-no obstacle standing right in the middle of the way. I mean, that's what happened here. And we can learn from this and what to do from this history because, first of all, when we have a desire and we feel it's God's will, you know the worst thing we can do? The worst thing we can do is become guilty of presumption. Guilty of presumption. What is presumption? Presumption is to presume that what we want is God's will. What does presumption look like? Presumption looks like when a person says, God told me to do this. That's to pull the God card. That's what it looks like. It's better for us to go forward honorably and see if it's God's will or not. Because if it's God's will, doors will open. And if it's not, doors will not open. And it's better for us to go forward honorably by recognizing, you know, God really has three options for answers. One option is yes. Another option is no. And another option is not yet or later. And, you know, for years I've had a burden to reach the Jewish people in Israel, the Israeli people. And I was so glad when the door opened up about three years ago and we made a deal with a large DVD duplicator there in Israel. And we were able to do a mass mailing testimony DVD to 135,000 homes in Lower Galilee. It was great until the anti-missionary group went on the attack and they put the picture of yours truly up in all the post offices with a poison sign. And they posted, this is a dangerous person. And then they went about and they found out the company who was making the DVDs for us in Israel. They threatened to destroy their business and that ended our deal with the company. So just like Ezra and Nehemiah who started to build the wall in Jerusalem and everything was going great and they were stopped, I was stopped dead in my tracks. Everything halted. And for the last three years, I've tried everything. I've gone to this person. I've gone to Arabs. I've gone to Israelis to try to get the operation working again and no avail. But finally, after three years, it looks like God is opening up the doors again. And I'm not going to tell you from something that's going to be on the internet how it is. But what was so important for Boaz was to be honorable in his efforts to marry Ruth. And that was the great value behind Boaz's saying when it says in verse 14, verse 14, let it not be known that a woman came unto the floor. You know, it was so, it would have been so easy for Boaz. He could have just said, taking this opportunity to influence that other man, you know, who had the first right of refusal for Boaz, 
All Boaz had to do was just let it be known that Ruth spent the night with him, and that would have caused the other man to say, ah, slut, sleep around, loose woman. Who wants a woman like that? But Boaz was not going to manipulate like that. He was playing the game honorably. He only wanted Ruth if he was 100% sure that God wanted for him to have Ruth and that he had no influence over the other man's decision. See, that was proof that Boaz was really at peace. That's why he said in verse 13, verse 13, if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well. How can he say well? Well, he's in love with this woman. Because he was saying, nevertheless, not my will, but God's will be done, but thine be done. And that's a bottle for our life. To always say in life, I want this, but nevertheless, God's will be done. If he doesn't want it, I don't want it. So that's where we left off Boaz in a state of peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know, and he's on the throne. But evidently, Ruth, she wasn't sharing in this peace, perfect peace. And when she arrives home, this is evident because Naomi, she can see Ruth is agitated. So Naomi tells her in verse 18, then said she, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be at rest until he have finished the thing this day. What's it mean to sit still? What's it mean to sit still? Sit still, first of all, sitting still is hard work. Take it from me, very hard. <laughs> it's a very hard work. To sit still is to fight against a restlessness, against an anxiety, against a worry. To sit still is to fight against taking matters into my own hands. You know, we can't change the past, but we can sure ruin the future by worrying, ruin the present, by worrying about future, as Sam told us. You know, sitting still is hard work. It's hard work. Some think that when the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, that's really an invitation to kick back with a whatever attitude. You know, that verse tells us that we have a part and God has a part in our care. This is definitely not fatalism here. God's part is he careth for you. God's part is he will take care of you. That's God's job. That's God's job. But we have a job in that. That verse gives us our job as well. When it says casting all your care upon him, that's our part. And casting is hard work. It's hard work. It's a constant work of casting our care on God. When we feel anxious over something that's really a call to consciously see the anxiety as a light from God that's shining on a care that we have and we haven't cast it yet on the Lord. So that is very important for us to see that verse is what we have to do, casting your, all your care upon him. And the verse that we rely on is one that says, be careful for nothing, Philippians 4.6, Philippians 4.6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard or, or set a sentry, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word careful is very important to understand. This is be careful for nothing. What does it mean to be careful for nothing? It means a balance. There's a balance in being careful for nothing. On the one hand, to be careful for nothing does not mean to become passive in life and adopt this, as I said, fatalistic whatever attitude. On the other hand, to be careful for nothing means to not make our lives to be consumed 
with providing for ourselves, which means that we don't become consumed with worrying over our health, over our food, over our clothing. That's all what was encompassed when the Lord said in Matthew 6.25, Matthew 6.25, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, that'd be health, what you shall put on, that'd be clothing, is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. So it's a balance. It's a balance. Passivity is a great problem today. We're living in an age of passivity. We're living in a world of whatever. Passivity causes laziness, what the Bible calls slothfulness. Laziness feeds on fear. That's why it says in Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, Proverbs twenty thirteen, the slothful man saith, there's a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. See, that's a description of a person who really plays it safe, over safe. And he never takes any risks. And he's, not, and he's never going to go anywhere because fear is so gripping that it enters the realm of the irrational. Like saying, I don't want to go outside because there's a lion in the street ready to kill me. I, I really like the speaker that we had last at the Creation Museum on Christmas Under the Stars. And he made a great distinction between the questions that a fearful person asks versus a courageous person. The fearful person asks the question, is it over yet? <laughs> is it done? Are we done? Is it over yet? And you know what the courageous person asks? What's next? What's next? The fearful person says, that was pretty rough. I got pretty bruised up. I don't want to do that again. All I want to know is if it's over yet. I don't want to take any more risks like that. Whereas the courageous person says, that was adventurous. That was fun. What's next? Well, when Naomi said to Ruth, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day, Naomi was really saying Boaz was not a passive man. Boaz was not a whatever type of person. Boaz was not going down the street of whatever because the street of whatever leads to the house of never. You know, so that wasn't Boaz. So when Naomi said about Boaz, this verse 18, the man will not be in rest, until he had finished the thing this day. She's telling Ruth, Boaz is driven by a sense of urgency. You know, he will finish this thing today, this day. And every man should be driven by a sense of urgency in certain areas. One area is salvation. It's a good thing to feel anxious and urgency over the problem of unforgiven sins over the problem of the approaching wrath and judgment of God, over the problem of the nearness of the end of life and knowledge that after that comes the judgment, over the problem of the imminent entrance into eternity, the anxiety of restlessness, not being at rest, designed by God for a person to drive him into action. And here's how God describes that problem and the actions that a man should take in Isaiah 64, 6, Isaiah 64, 6, very famous verse. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, and there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold. The very graphic word, chazak. To take hold, to seize, to be strong, to conquer. 
There's none that's stirred up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid thy face from us and consumed us because of our iniquities. Here's a problem. We are all as an unclean thing. That's a problem. When it says we are all, that means that that means we are all. That means there's not one person who's not dirty and defiled inside. That's a real problem. And what should be done there is the description of verse 18, not be at rest. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Christmas Under the Stars is back at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Christmas Under the Stars is a free family Christmas program on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. Enjoy a live nativity, Christmas carolers, cookie decorating, ornament design, games, rides, petting zoos, and a dinosaur garden of lights. Family Christmas photos, holiday fair food, and astronomer star viewing and presentation by astronomer Spike Saris. And a Christmas message by Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Free Creation Museum admission on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. For more information about Christmas Under the Stars and Dinosaurs at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Saturday, December 9th from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m., call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit the Creation Museum online at creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.